We're going to take a break for a week or two on our series in Mark, and I'd like for us to go to the Old Testament this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, These verses are also in your bulletin. We're going to look at chapter 4 of Exodus, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you for these words to speak directly to us today. To strengthen us, to encourage us, to shape us, and to mold us. We ask for your spirit today to do these things. We are asking your spirit to move in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds today. And we ask these things in the precious name of your Son. Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but I did not graduate at the top of my class. I did not attend an Ivy League school. I'm not a founder or CEO of any company. I've received no honorary doctorates. I was not voted most likely to succeed in high school. I am not a rising star in any field, industry, or arena. I have not written a New York Times bestseller. No buildings, streets, or hospitals have been named in honor of me. I don't have an impressive family background, and I've never given a TED Talk. You see, I'm not qualified to do anything of significance in this world. And that's okay. Why is that okay? Well, it's okay because Jesus is not concerned about my resume. He's not. And he's not concerned about your resume either. Our accomplishments do not justify our existence. Believe it or not. Our accolades do not merit us greatness in the eyes of Christ. Christ is not concerned about how many likes, shares, and retweets we have. 
The book of Exodus, from which we just read, is a story about God's people becoming slaves in Egypt. And it's a story of God raising up one man to lead His people out of slavery to freedom. Now, what kind of incredible man do you think God would pick for this task? To lead Israel out from under the bondage of the most powerful nation on earth. What kind of man, incredible man, would God pick? How many of you have seen the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? There's another movie out too, you know if you've seen it, about Moses called Gods and Kings. Came out eh, about ten years ago or so. In these movies, Moses is portrayed as this young, handsome, strapping, articulate, charismatic individual who leads an entire nation with great skill and with God at his side. I mean, in the movie Gods and Kings, it's Batman, Christian Bale, who plays Moses. Literally, Batman plays Moses in Gods and Kings. But that isn't quite the biblical account of Moses. If you notice in your outline, I'd like for us to go through six characteristics of the real Moses that I hope will encourage you this morning. Let's look at the real Moses together, shall we? Characteristic number one, Moses was not a good speaker. He was not a good speaker. Exodus 4, verse 10 says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Moses was not a good speaker. Number two, Moses had a speech impediment. You don't find this in the movies. But Moses had a speech impediment. Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 continues. And Moses says, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Exodus 4 verse 10. Moses had a speech impediment. Number three, Moses was a murderer. Exodus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 say this. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Moses was a murderer. Number four, Moses was a coward. Moses was a coward. The story continues in chapter 2. It says, The next day when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge 
Are you going to kill me just as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. And he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So instead of taking his medicine, instead of manning up, Moses ran. Because Moses was a coward. Number five, Moses was a sheep herder for his in-laws. Moses was a sheep herder for his in-laws. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. So this is what qualified Moses to lead an entire nation. He was a shepherd for his father-in-law in the middle of nowhere. And lastly, number six, Moses was an old man. Moses was an old man. Exodus chapter 7, verse 7 says, Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So, this isn't exactly Batman, is it? You see, in the movies, a young, strapping Moses, he just struts up to Pharaoh and he shouts, Let my people go! Right? But the real scene looked more like this. Let him go. Let him go. That's the real scene. That doesn't make for a great Hollywood movie. But it is the real story. Moses was an elderly man. He was a coward. He was a shepherd. He was a murderer. He was not a good spe speaker. He had a speech impediment. Moses is probably the most unlikely of leaders for this task that you would expect. And I think that's the whole point. I think that's the whole point. If we can set Hollywood to the side for a minute and think about the real story, and not just this story, but every story from Genesis to Revelation. Who does God normally pick for great tasks? It's usually the most unexpected person. It's usually the greatest underdog that is picked. Moses, as it turns out, is not Batman. He is just as flawed and sinful as you and me if not more so. If not more so. Now, there's a really interesting element to Moses' story that often gets overlooked. But I think it's a really, really important element of the story. 
And that's Moses' staff. I brought a staff here with me this morning. A staff was very important to a shepherd. It was like a smartphone. He never went anywhere without it. He had to have his, shep his shepherd's staff at all times. And a shepherd's staff was usually very large. In fact, it was much larger than this. It was very large and it would be used for all kinds of things. It would be used to corral the sheep, to steady the shepherd as he walked, and it would be used to fend off predators. This was his critical tool. He never went anywhere without it. What you may not realize is the commentators say that it was common in Moses' day that these shepherd's staffs would be handed down from generation to generation. So some of them could be hundreds of years old, potentially. And another interesting fact is that oftentimes these became very precious to the family because they were passed down from generation to generation. And so what they would do is they would carve markings in the staffs of their family history. So the staff itself represented their family and their family history. Now, the Bible doesn't say this about Moses' staff, and so maybe his staff had family markings in it, and maybe it didn't. We don't know. But either way, here's what we do know. Shepherds were very low on the social ladder. Very low on the social ladder. So no matter what, Moses' staff, being representative of Moses and his family, was a representative of his very low standing in society. But let me ask you this. Let's just think for a second. Because it was common in those days, what if, what if Moses' staff did have carvings in it? What would his carvings be? What would his carvings be? What would those carvings depict? Here's what they would depict. A long, painful family history of slaves of shepherds, of nobodies, of rejects, of outcasts, of underdogs. That is who Moses' family was. And that is what the nation of Hebrews was. A nation of outcasts. So it's possible that every day for 40 years, Moses would work with those sheep out in the fields for his father-in-law, and he would stare at a long line of rejects, of slaves, of outcasts, himself included in his family tree. And so as we come to Exodus chapter 4, what has happened is God has miraculously showed up in Moses' life through a burning bush. And God has called him to deliver the Israelites 
from grinding slavery. Now Moses knows he has many sins and flaws. And Moses has a lot of trouble understanding how in the world God has chosen him for this task. Look at verses 1 through 3. Moses answered, What if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Ah, okay. Finally, finally, Moses can be rid of this old thing. Finally, Moses can shake the history of being so low on the social ladder. He can shake the history of rejects. Maybe God is going to give him something new now to carry. Maybe you'll give him a golden scepter or a bronze sword for his monumental task that lies ahead. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So, God had no golden scepter or bronze sword for Moses, did he? No. No, it would be this rickety old shepherd's staff that Moses would stretch out over the Red Sea, causing the waters to split in half for the Israelites to walk across on dry ground. But why? Why would an old shepherd's staff be God's instrument of deliverance? I think it's this right here. I think essentially God is saying to Moses, it is true, Moses, that you don't have much to offer. It's true that you don't have a shining family background. It is true that your past is full of sin, slavery, and poverty. It is true that you are low on the social ladder. And that's exactly why I chose you. I don't want to erase your past, Moses. I want to redeem it. I want to make it beautiful. And I want it to give me glory. So, Moses, 
Lay your staff of shame at my feet. And after you have done so, pick it back up. And now view this staff the way that I view it. Because Moses, your family history is exactly what I wanted it to be. And your history is exactly what I wanted it to be. And I will use the symbol of your low social status. And I will use the symbol of your failures to accomplish my wonders. And every man, woman, and child in Egypt will know that the God of slaves and outcasts is the one true king. So, let me ask you here today the same question that God asks Moses in verse 2. What is that in your hand? What is it that you have that is symbolic of your life and your history and your family line? Or maybe we could ask it like this. What would be carved in your staff? What would be on it? I'll tell you what would be on mine. For me... It would be a life of atheism and hatred toward God, of total rebellion against my Savior. That's what would be on it. Oh, and you know what else would be carved into this staff? It would be despicable sin piled on top of despicable sin. Basically from the moment that I opened my eyes in this life. That's what would be on my staff. And your staff might say something similar. It might say that you're too insignificant, too uneducated, too unqualified, or too sinful to be used by God. And if so, then you, like Moses, are in perfect position to be used for the glory of God. You're in perfect position. You may not think this is true, but it is true. You see, Moses didn't believe it either. And so he argued with God. He told God all about how he couldn't speak well and that no one was going to believe him. No one would listen to an uneducated, untalented shepherd from the sticks who had a stutter. No one's going to listen to me, God. And this was God's response in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. God says to Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? 
Who makes them deaf and mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go. (laughs) Now, go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. You see, we get so focused on what our staff says we can do. And we forget what God says He can do. Our eyes are on the wrong thing. Our eyes are on the wrong words. Our eyes should be on the words of God and what He has to say. We forget that it is God who formed us in our mother's womb. He did that. We forget that we are exactly who God designed us to be. He has fashioned you exactly the way that He wanted to. And so we can't go to God like Moses with all of our excuses. Because every excuse we hand over to God is going to say, yeah, yeah, I made you that way. I formed you in your mother's womb for such a time as this. But this story isn't over yet. It gets even more profound from here. You see, because part of Moses' role as the leader, was to stand between God and the Israelites. What do I mean? Well, it was not only that Moses was Israel's political leader. He was. But he was also responsible for mediating the sins of the people before God. He was their advocate. He stood between a holy God and a wicked people to continually offer sacrifices to God for their sins. You see? He was the advocate of the nation of Israel. I could hardly imagine a more demanding role than that one. Clearly, Moses could not sustain the type of mediation needed for sinful Israel to have a relationship with a perfectly holy God. This was not sustainable. This was only a temporary solution. Moses was too frail, and the people were far too sinful. But one day, but one day, The permanent solution would come. And guess who would find it? A group of shepherds in Bethlehem. They would find the permanent solution to our sin problem. Lying in a manger. Yes, our permanent solution 
would come in the form of a baby in Bethlehem. And as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the true fulfillment of Moses' mission. He is the true fulfillment of Moses' mission. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better leader. Jesus is the true and better deliverer. Jesus is the true and better advocate. God used a flawed hero here in Exodus to point us to the real one. So, hear me today. No matter what is carved in your staff, you have nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, the exact opposite is true. The opposite is true. Why can I say that? I can say that because Jesus Christ, your mighty advocate, stood between you and God. On the cross, Jesus became the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin. And He took the punishment you deserved for your sin in your place, absorbing every ounce of your sin and shame. A mighty advocate indeed. So, maybe your world is full of sin. Maybe your world is full of problems you created. Maybe so. Maybe, like me, you are better at messing things up than you are at fixing them. Maybe so. Maybe you're not awesome. I know we're supposed to be awesome nowadays, but maybe you're not. I know that I'm not. But hey, join the club, right? Let's be real. I don't care what Instagram says. Nobody's awesome. <laughs> Nobody's awesome. Not really. But Jesus is. Jesus is awesome. He is a mighty advocate. And that's all that matters. At the end of the day, it's all that matters. Jesus is awesome. He is full of steadfast love, complete justice, perfect obedience, and gentle compassion. Jesus' desire to forgive us, cleanse us, and reunite us to God is not based on anything we have earned or accomplished. It's not based on anything that is carved in our staff. No. No. It is not based on who we are. It's based on who He is. He loves us not because we're good, but because He's good. He is good. And He loves us because He loves us. Period. We didn't earn it. Heck, we didn't even want it. But we got it anyway. We got the perfect love of our advocate. And not only that, we got it for free. It's free. <laughs> How amazing is that? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. It's death, but 
the free gift of God. The free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Man. If God can use someone like Moses, He can use someone like you. And He can use someone like me. He can use an old God-hating atheist like me to lead a church called Gospel Life in South Huntsville, Alabama. The crucified and risen Christ has all the power needed to turn every failure carved in your staff into a testimony of His grace. <laughs> a testimony of His grace. So, let's hold our staffs up high. Let's hold them up high and tell the world of what Jesus has done.